This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Alex. So I want you to take a look at what I'm showing you on my laptop screen here. Just describe what you see. It's the Pope in the puffy coat. Okay, so it's the Pope wearing a gorgeous, white, very fashionable, puffy coat. And he seems to be strutting the streets of Vatican City uh, with a, a cross on a long chain. And he just looks really fly. He looks good, right? He looks really good. Do you remember when you first saw this image? Oh, yeah, I do. I remember this whole thing. There was a whole controversy around this. Yeah, so many people got fooled by this. And if we're being honest here, I was one of them. And a new image of Pope Francis that is making the rounds on social media has some people confused. This just appears to be Pope Francis wearing a white puffer jacket with an iced out cross. Posted to Reddit last week, shared on Twitter with the caption, okay, the papal drip went viral. Hani Farid, a professor of computer science at the University of California, Berkeley, says this is a perfect case of a manipulated image taking the world by storm. I mean, the Pope in the puffy coat, right? I think we will look back on that image as a very discreet moment in time where reporters realized they can no longer trust what they see. Because a lot of reporters that I talked to in the intervening weeks after that were like, I had no idea. Because it was just fantastical enough that you wanted it to be true and so realistic that it wasn't obvious that it was fake. AI has been able to generate text and video for a while. But Fareed says what's changing is that this AI-generated content is quickly becoming a lot more realistic. Stable Diffusion, Midjourney, Dolly, images are incredibly good. Like the artifacts now are very, very minor. There were ways to tell that the image of the Pope in the puffy coat was fake, what Farid calls artifacts. Eagle-eyed internet users spotted some inconsistencies in the image. You may have seen this viral image of the Pope wearing a puffer coat. This was also created using the AI tool Midjourney. The picture contained one big clue that it was fake, distortion around his fingers. But soon, Farid says these images won't be distinguishable from the real thing. And that matters because some images move markets and change minds. There is an incredible power of visual imagery that when you can change the photographs, you change history. And I think when we look at photographs, it's really impactful. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osula. And I'm Charlotte Gartenberg. Today, we're talking about AI-generated images, how we're going to tell if they're real, what's at stake if we can't, and the technological fixes that are going to help us tell the difference. Stick around. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. 
What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Manipulating images isn't new. It's nearly as old as photography itself. Even digital tools like Photoshop have been around for more than 30 years. Dana Rao, general counsel and chief trust officer at Adobe, which makes Photoshop, says he's been thinking about how powerfully we react to things we see. Once you're in a world where you're seeing deepfakes, next time you see something, you're going to be like, I don't know if it's true or not. We're going to get desensitized to the information we're going to see because we have no way to know whether what we're seeing is true or not. And seeing is believing. Rao says AI image generators are changing the game. To better understand how they've upped the stakes, we need to know more about how AI-generated images are made. So if we wanted to make an image like the Pope in the puffy coat, we'd turn to a tool like Midjourney, Dolly, or Stable Diffusion. Midjourney did not respond to requests for comment for this story. OpenAI, which makes Dolly, and Stability AI, which makes Stable Diffusion, declined to comment. But most of these AI image generators work pretty much the same way. They're based on a technique called diffusion. Making an AI image generator takes a few steps. Step one, picking an AI model. Engineers can either create one or pick one that already exists. But just having the model itself isn't all that useful. They need to train it. That takes us to step two, gathering training images. I think the reason you are seeing generative images is because over the last 20 years, we, me, you, and everybody else, has uploaded billions and billions of pieces of content that the machines are learning from. That's Hani Farid again, the computer science professor at UC Berkeley. He says that algorithms trawled the internet and scraped billions of images, each of which had text captions. And that last part is really important. So now it has some 5 billion images. And what it does is it takes an image with a caption. Uh, five people sitting at a bar in Napa Valley enjoying a nice Cabernet. Yeah. By the way, I have no idea where that caption came from. It just <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, engineers have got their training data. Now it's time for step three, training the algorithm they've designed. Exactly how this happens can vary a bit, but generally, using that training data, the AI system learns to associate certain visual features with certain words. Let's say the engineers feed that system an image of people drinking Cabernet at a bar. It'll learn things like Cabernet is red and the bar is flat. The AI system adds noise to that image by changing the color of each pixel. That makes the shapes in the image difficult to distinguish. The way this noise is making it hard to make out the words I'm saying. It takes the image and it adds a little bit of noise to it, degrades the image, and then learns how to go backwards, how to denoise it. And then it does that until it gets it right. Degrade, clean, degrade, clean. It does this five billion times. And then what it has is it knows how to go from a pure noise image with a caption to a clean image that depicts what the caption is. Billions of images times millions of denoisings, 
The result is that we can type in a prompt, like two people drinking beer on the moon. And in the span of just a few seconds, the AI can generate anything we want, even if it's never existed before. Okay, well, maybe not anything. Sometimes the system just doesn't understand the prompt. And many of the popular image generators have rules barring them from producing certain kinds of images, though people can work around those. So you can put guardrails on what goes in. You can put guardrails on the prompt. You're not allowed to ask for nudity or violence or blood. Even with guardrails in place, it's easy to simply type a prompt and get a realistic image in a matter of seconds. Claire Leibowitz is head of the AI and Media Integrity Program at the Partnership on AI. That's a nonprofit focused on responsible use of artificial intelligence. Its funding comes from a combination of philanthropic organizations and corporate stakeholders, including big tech companies. The ease with which people can create very easily and sophisticated and kind of photorealistic examples of content that could be confusing or deceptive or cast doubt on entire narratives or histories make it really important for us to understand where content comes from and, and how it's been manipulated. It's not just that we can make them quickly. We can share them quickly. An image is seen by two eyeballs and then millions in a matter of minutes. And Leibowitz says this comes with consequences. This happened in a very real way back in May. A few months ago, a image of the Pentagon was on fire. It seemed to be on fire. A viral fake picture followed by a real dip in the markets Monday. The fabricated photo posted to social media seeming to show a fiery explosion near the Pentagon. Generative AI experts said the image was probably made by AI, but that didn't stop the markets from reacting. Shortly after opening on May 22nd, the Dow fell 219 points, only to rebound later that morning. But some viewers said the image wasn't without its flaws. See how the grass blends into the concrete here? Part of that black pole disappears behind this barrier, and the fence itself looks off. But Leibowitz says it was a big deal. That is deeply impactful in that it moved the market and was really misleading and confusing. And Hani Farid, the computer science professor, says that because of how the image was shared on social media, people weren't skeptical enough. It got retweeted and reshared, value plummeted, and then, of course, it rebounded. The power of visual imagery is incredible. <laughs> and the amount of AI-generated imagery will only increase from here. In 2022, Europol, the EU's law enforcement agency, released a report. It predicted that by 2026, 90% of online content may be synthetically generated. Okay, so AI-generated images can cause real harm, especially if people think they're real. But how can we tell the difference between what's real and what's made by AI? Charlotte walks us through the technological solutions to the AI image problem after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So we've already been dealing with this problem. 
AI-generated images are getting passed off as the real thing. And although we've been told not to trust everything we see online, some people call this media literacy, most of us could stand to be a bit more skeptical. But Claire Leibowitz from the Partnership on AI says that's not enough these days. I think that concept gets touted as the total panacea for all of our challenges, that if I just educate lay people about the capacity to manipulate content, they will be totally empowered to gauge if something's real or true or not. To be media literate is very complex today. She says we need new solutions. There are a couple of different options here. One is AI detection, or analysis after the fact. Another approach is invisible watermarking or fingerprinting. And finally, there's something called a content credential. Let's start with the most obvious approach. Test the image after it's been published, when we find it online. That's solution number one. And companies are working on it. Hi, uh, my name is Andrei Doronichev, and I'm the CEO of a company called Optic. A number of companies make tools that can tell us if an image was generated by AI. Optic has one called AI or not. It's a dead simple service, and it's all in its name, AIornot.com. So what it does is it tells you whether or not the image that you are uploading to it is AI-generated or human-generated. It's that simple. All you do is you drag and drop, or you upload your file, and then you get the result. Optic has been around since March 2022, and Doronichev says that its tech can find things in an image that the human eye can't. Certain patterns baked into the code at the pixel level. These inconsistencies, or artifacts, indicate that an image is made by AI. Neural nets are the algorithms AI generators are based on. Neural nets, every time they generate an image, they might try as much as they can to not leave any artifacts. But if you look at the vast number of images generated by certain neural net, as a human, you will not notice those patterns. But if you do it with another AI that is extremely good at pattern recognition, it will start noticing tiny little pixel-level artifacts that those neural nets leave behind. In the free version of AI or not, a user can upload an image they find on the internet and get a binary result, generated by AI or not. But it's not always that simple. The paid version of Optics tool gives a lot more information, and Doronichev says some companies need a higher level of detail. He says he's heard from some of them, including insurance companies that need to determine if an image of a house on fire is actually a house on fire. Another vertical that is interesting is all sorts of people, it's like banks and know your customer kind of flows where you upload your driving license or where you upload your photo. We're seeing a lot of interest from dating sites where people want to make sure that the human that they're looking at is actual human. The problem with services like AI or not is they're not perfect. As of August 24th, the company says its tool is between 97.8% and 99.9% accurate at detecting AI-generated images from the most popular neural nets. There's a bunch of services like this, and everyone can claim that, you know, they're good. Uh, the devil comes in, in details, so there are pockets of types of images uh, where, like, some detectors work well and some fail, ourselves included. 
Jaronichev says, getting stuff wrong just means that the tool can get better. Engineers have to constantly retrain detection systems anyway, since AI image generators are always getting better. Right now, there is no way to stay ahead. There's only a way to stay as little behind as possible. <laughs> How do we stay as little behind as possible? Adobe's Dana Rao says that the only way to stay ahead is to start from the beginning. So by the time you attach a label to a lie, millions of people have already seen it and believed it and believed it incorrectly. And then you come back and tell them it's a deep fake. It's too late. You can't unring that bell. What if instead of trying to figure out if an image is fake, the image told the user it was fake? That has to be baked in from the moment the image is made. That's the idea behind solution number two, invisible watermarking. Claire Leibowitz from the Partnership on AI says watermarking is basically adding a little piece of code to an image that allows detectors to verify it. Very simplistically, watermarking you can think of as inserting some marker into a piece of content to say that it is what it is. It's almost like a stamp. The generator can purposefully change some information embedded in the pixels in a way that's invisible to the human eye, but visible to an AI detector. These pixels act like a stamp or watermark. Microsoft's Bing and Google DeepMind have already added these to their generators. Last month, Google DeepMind launched a new type of watermark called SynthID. Pushmeet Kohli, a vice president of research at Google DeepMind, told us about it. SynthID is a new way of doing watermarking. It has two properties. One, it's invisible to the human eye, so it does not affect the quality of the image. And two, it's persistent in the sense that even if the watermarked image is later transformed in some way, like uh, it is cropped a bit or it is sort of rotated or transformed in some other way, you will still be able to detect that it was watermarked in its AI-generated content. Coley says, for DeepMind, a watermark was the right approach because it's very hard to strip off, though not impossible. For now, SynthID is in beta testing, and it could be integrated into other Google products. Google and Google DeepMind, we believe that AI is a transformative technology. It, it will have an impact on many different areas. But at the same time, when we are thinking about this powerful technology, you have to approach it with a lot of sort of care and, uh, and sense of responsibility. In July, tech companies, including Google, Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon, met with President Biden. They agreed to voluntary safeguards around the use of AI, including watermarking AI-generated images. The companies have a duty to earn the people's trust and empower users to make informed decisions labeling content that has been altered or AI-generated. And this week, eight more big tech companies, including Adobe and IBM, made the same commitment. But some academics and computer scientists are skeptical that these marks can stand up to tampering from bad actors. Claire Leibowitz says a fingerprint is similar to a watermark. The fingerprint is kind of like my fingerprint. It's not added. It's something that helps people identify me. There'll be some database to scan and see, is that the fingerprint that matches Claire? Imagine I went to a police station and got my fingerprints taken. If I end up in the system again, the police can find me in a database. That's exactly the kind of database that could exist for AI-generated images. Having a watermark baked into the code or a fingerprint that connects to a database is actually only half the battle. The other half is making sure users have this information when they're looking at the image. Enter solution number three, 
the content credential. This takes us back to the folks at Adobe. Adobe is one of the founding members of a group called the Content Authenticity Initiative. It's a global coalition with members from tech, media, and policy that, among other things, is working to create an industry standard for online images. Dana Rao says its solution is something called a content credential. So what a content credential is, it's like a nutrition label for an image or video or audio. And what it will tell you is who made the image, when it was made, where it was made, and what edits were made to it along the way. A nutrition label is a good analogy. A content credential lays out everything that went into the image we're seeing. Who took the initial photograph and where? If any adjustments were made to it, whether those adjustments were made using AI or maybe some gentle cropping. And finally, where it was published and by whom. The overall idea is to have a record of everything that's happened to the image, from when it was made to when the user sees it online. And it's an indicator of, of trust. That's how we think about it. Uh, it's, a, it's a chain of trust built from, from the very first place the image is captured to where it gets published. The Content Authenticity Initiative is made up of more than 1,500 members. The Wall Street Journal is one of them. And we should note that Hani Farid, the computer science professor we've been hearing from, he works with the initiative as a paid advisor. He also works with LinkedIn, which is owned by another member of the initiative, Microsoft. Andrew Jenks, Microsoft's director of media providence, says its Bing AI generator now includes information in the metadata to indicate if an image was generated by AI. What that actually means is that we're adding the technical indication that an image was created by that generative AI system. We believe it's important that we tell you that it came from the Bing service, when that happened, and some identifying information that lets you know what model it was. But seeing that indication isn't easy. It takes a couple of steps. Right now, users have to go to a whole separate website. The Content Authenticity Initiative makes one, called Verify. But down the line, the goal is to show this information with the image itself. My hope is that you can tell which ones were created and which ones were captured so that you continue to have a relationship with reality. There's another benefit to content credentials. Remember what we said about Optic's AI or not tool? Most of the images we see online aren't either AI generated or not. Say you take a family photo at Niagara Falls and you use your phone's object remover function to erase the tourists in the background. You and your family did go to Niagara Falls. Yay! That part's real. But AI filled in the gaps where the other tourists were removed. The content credential would keep a record of all that. We have a whole range of tools that can use AI-type functionality to change an authentic image in some way. Is that thing purely authentic? No. Is it purely created? No. And so what I like to think of is this continuum, right? How do you express different points along that continuum? For Adobe's Dana Rao, the content credential gives the user all the information they need to make their own assessment. The thesis of this approach is always that we were on a power, the public to decide what to trust. There is a major obstacle. In order for content credentials to be effective, they have to be a consistent standard across all platforms. Figuring out how to do that is part of Claire Leibowitz's job at the Partnership on AI. She says for it to work, everyone, or nearly everyone, 
has to participate. We kind of like to differentiate three buckets. There's these folks building the technology, the code, the models that ultimately would allow a creator to create with it. Then there are creators themselves. Then there's distributors. And that is a huge area of intervention, which is how should TikTok or Facebook or Twitter, X, excuse me, um, ultimately spread that content? How do they convey that it might be manipulated and label it? So everyone's involved. We reached out to TikTok, Meta, and X, formerly Twitter. TikTok declined to comment and referred us to its participation in the Partnership on AI's Framework for Responsible Practices for Synthetic Media and its synthetic media policy. Meta and X didn't respond to our requests for comment. Getting everyone on board is one of the major goals of the Content Authenticity Initiative. Assuming it's successful, our experience of seeing images online will change. We'll have a lot more information about every image, from the moment it was snapped by a camera, or generated by AI, to when it's published. We'll have the tools to determine what to trust at our fingertips. But from a technological perspective, Microsoft's Andrew Jenks says no one solution will be enough. There's really no silver bullet technology here. Content credentials is not a silver bullet. Detection is not a silver bullet. Watermarking is not a silver bullet. But when you take these things in combination, you start to make very robust, very well-understood systems that can provide better mitigations for people generally. For UC Berkeley's Hani Farid, this combination of technologies along with user skepticism is the way to go. And we better get on it because, he says, the future of the Internet hangs in the balance. I think there's one of two scenarios. Either we keep going down the road we're going, which is this dystopian hellscape of an internet is where everybody's living in their own echo chambers. I don't think it has to end up that way. I think we can start to right the ship. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Alex Osula, and me, Charlotte Gartenberg. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers and wrote our theme music. Catherine Milsop is our supervising producer. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. Like the show? Tell your friends and leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.